0: Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord.
1: The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachytonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zachariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Word of the Lord.
0: Well, I'm grateful that you are here with us this morning, here in the space, and also those of you who have joined us online. I really believe that part of the way we get God's Word into us it's through the public reading of Scripture. This is a time-stamped, a time-worn time tradition that's gone on as far back as we were reading the book of Nehemiah where people would stand up and do the public reading of Scripture. And thank you, Lynn, for, uh, for doing that for us this morning. And the reason why that's so important is because week by week, especially if you are actively participating, and you'll notice that over the last few weeks, maybe a couple of months, we're now allowing and having our children in worship with us so they can hear the scriptures being read. Because we're making the bet that as we hear the scriptures being read week by week, we will hear the full story eventually. We'll hear the story of creation. We'll hear the story of Israel, of Jesus, of the church. We will hear the story of the promise that a day will come when Christ will restore order to this world that is in chaos. We're told the story then from different vantages. And so that by paying attention, we then begin to deepen our imaginations in the whole mystery of what God is doing in our lives and in the world, we become believers who are rooted and grounded in the word of God. And so I want to again encourage you to continue to come and participate in the public reading and in the worship of the church and allow for your children to experience that on a regular basis. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you promised that everything will pass away, but your word will stand forever. Lord, may our generation be attentive so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we remember your ways and gladly do right, meeting you wherever. And whenever you appear in Christ's name we pray amen as we heard uh, Dr. Fox say this is the second Sunday of Advent and this morning we heard these ancient powerful words of Luke urging us to prepare for the coming of the Lord these scriptures urge us to show deliberate signs of repentance and a change of heart John the Baptist warned the people and we didn't read all of that but if you read if you would read the rest of the passage John the Baptist warned the people that it's no use being baptized without a true willingness to turn from sin baptism without repentance makes no difference when the king comes my pastor back in Jamaica used to say Without repentance, getting baptized, you're just getting wet. Church membership without repentance will make no difference when the king comes. So as we hear the words of John the Baptist this morning, I want you to think of one word, and that is the word preparation. Not for December 25th, but preparation for the king of kings when he comes again. In our reading, I don't know if you noticed it, but there are these two contrasting powers that are represented in the text. In one corner, Luke points to these seven powerful people. There's an emperor by the name of Tiberius. There's a governor by the name of Pontius Pilate. There are these three rulers, sort of, uh, rulers over regions, Herod, Philip, Trachonitis, sons of Herod the Great, and then there are these two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. Why why mention these political and religious leaders? I think what John, or Luke rather, is trying to do is to provide us with historical context. These names function as a timestamp Luke is indeed writing history, he's a doctor but he's also a historian and he's looking back and he's trying to give factual solid details surrounding the life and the times of John the Baptist and that coming of Jesus, that public ministry of Jesus. And so I think he wants the readers to know that these scriptures are not fables, they're not mythology, they're grounded in reality. But then there's another corner. When you look to, the, to your left, you see these seven rulers. You look to your right and you see spiritual power. Because in verse two, we're told that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Think about that for a moment. God's word comes to a recluse. This guy wears weird clothes. He eats weird food, he's living far away from the shadows and the noise of Jerusalem, and compared to the folks over on our left, this guy on our right, we would say he's a nobody. But isn't it ironic that God chooses a nobody to prepare his people? Remember now, the last time Israel heard a prophetic voice, it was the voice of Malachi some 400 years ago, and then they turned down the volume on the prophets. You, just, you weren't hearing them anymore. And suddenly, without anyone's permission, God overlooks the seven people to our left, and instead God goes out into the hot, uncomfortable, lonely wilderness and gives his word to a nobody called John, the son of Zachariah. And you have to think about it this way. If you discovered a cure to a horrible disease, how would you get the word out? You want people to be well. You want to prevent people from getting that disease. And you have the cure. How do you get the word out? Would you go down to the corner of Van Ness and Wisconsin and give the message to a guy standing on the corner playing his guitar? On Friday, and this is good news, Food and Drug Administration announced their approval of the first gene-editing therapy ever to be used in humans for sickle cell disease. There are hundreds of thousands of people in America, particularly people of African-American descent, who are suffering and dying from sickle cell disease, a debilitating blood disorder, and they found the cure. And to ensure that the FDA's message gets out, they chose credible, influential outlets to push the news to the world. They would never, and I know I'm being ridiculous, they would never give this vital information to someone with a guitar on a street corner. And yet, in one sense, this is what the God of heaven and earth did. The word of God came to John in the wilderness, not to the seven leaders. Luke wants us to know that John is one of the last Old Testament prophets you're going to see in Scripture. And here he is. What was his message? You know, every prophet has a message. And I need to warn you that if you read that whole section in Luke chapter 3, the message of the prophet is not warm and fuzzy. The prophets are often marginalized, they're ridiculed, they're canceled because their message is never in sync with the leaders in downtown Jerusalem. It's a lonely job, the job of a prophet, Because you're always saying what God says, not what the people want to hear. So John came preaching a prickly message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. True prophets, then, always bring an inconvenient truth. The reason why prophets get into trouble is that the people in power, they get to control the narrative. They get to muzzle the facts, and the prophets, they just tell it like it is. And many times, they end up losing body parts. The thing about true prophets, though, is that they're not trying to win friends. They're not trying to garner popular opinions. The prophets are captured by God's word. And so they're more interested in preparing people to meet God than anything else. Last year, March of 2022, Prince William and Kate Middleton visited several, what what we now call commonwealth countries and islands in the Caribbean. They had a commonwealth tour through the late winter of last year, and they came to Jamaica. And before they arrived, an advanced team came to make arrangements for these royals. All of Jamaica, all of the Caribbean was in overdrive, getting ready for their visit. You think about security, you think about hospitality, you think of venues, food, dignitaries, everything was ready. And they came. And they left. And everything was essentially the same. And it's not their fault. Two-day visits, two-day visits do not change a nation. Two-day visits don't change a people. It's just the way things are. But this is not the case with our friend John the Baptist. And that's the reason why Advent season is, is one of preparing for the coming of Christ. John the Baptist is sounding the call in today's gospel. That voice... Crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John, a one man advance team, he's the forerunner sent to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And he demands something. This is not a sideshow. This is not a comedy hour. He's demanding something from his hearers, and he demands repentance. And he says, "I want, I want, I want you to bring fruit that demonstrates repentance. I want you to believe. I want you to, I want you to walk and live in a certain way." Fleming Rutledge is a Episcopal scholar and just a wonderful preacher. And she asks this question, who among us would tolerate John the Baptist for even a few minutes? I don't think he could fit right here at National. He wouldn't dress right. Maybe he wouldn't smell right. Just wouldn't look the part that we at National like to look. Who among us would tolerate John the Baptist for even a few minutes? And so John came baptizing and this was a radical thing because we're talking about baptism not for people like me and you if we want to join the Jewish community back then we would have to go through a ritual of baptism but this idea of baptism was for Jews and Gentiles it was for the insider and the outsider John was preaching that being born a Jew did not ensure right relationship with God that everyone needs to be baptized John essentially was putting the needs of humanity on the same plane. Don't tell me you have Abraham as your father. You need to repent. That's why he's called John the Baptist. People came from all over, traveling down to this hot desert, to hear his message and many were repenting and being baptized now let's remind ourselves this morning there is no inherent power in baptism baptism doesn't save anyone but here's what baptism does baptism is an outward sign that something is happening to you on the inside and that's one of the way you're cho- one of the ways you're choosing to respond you're ready to deal with the realities of your life and your sin and you go into the River Jordan and you are washed and you are cleansed and it's a sign that you are now a member of the family of God. The other part of his message though was that he quoted from the prophecy of Isaiah. I don't know if you realize just how important Isaiah is to the entire New Testament. I can't remember the number now, but it's phenomenal through the Gospels, the book of Acts, through the rest of scriptures, how Isaiah is prominent. And here he has one of the most important messages Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This prophecy, then, is reflecting what I just told you about with William and Kate. It reflects the widespread custom that when an imminent ruler, powerful ruler, is about to visit your town, the citizens get busy. And they construct smooth roads so that this person can ride with ease and with dignity and pomp and circumstance into your town and this point must not be missed. John wants to know that Jesus is coming again. He's coming. He's the Lamb of God who will come to take away the sin of the world And John is saying you need to build a highway, a highway in your life by repenting. John is essentially saying, now, I don't want you to run out and mend your roads. I want you to mend your lives. That's what repentance involves. It's a turning. And Isaiah says... When God's people repent, all flesh will see God's salvation. And I think it's true. Yesterday, we were with some folks and we were talking and politics came up. No arguing. But in the course of talking about it, we noted how politics, within the church at least, in some... Christian communities, it's become so viral, so powerful, so, so defining that it's turning people away from the coming Messiah, and they're now focused on trying to right-size, whether it's their community or their nation, through political means. Jesus wants us to repent Jesus wants us to sink deeply into the politics of the kingdom of God and turn from our proclivities and our crutches and the things that we depend on and turn to him. And when we do that, many will come to know this Messiah. Now I would imagine in any crowd whenever someone gets up to speak our tendency is to maybe think about the person sitting next to you to think about that person who works with you at your company or your neighbor or some sibling to think of others when we hear the Word of God being preached we say I wish so-and-so were here to hear this because they really need to repent or I I hope this person sitting next to me is really listening because they need to get their act together. And that would be a huge mistake to do because whenever we hear the word of God, we should do what that old Negro spiritual says. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, not my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, It's me. The problem is with me. Yes, other people have problems, but my goal is not to look at other people's problems and judge them. The call to repentance is a call to examine ourselves and say, Lord, it's me. So, in the spirit of this Baptist, John the Baptist, we ask the question of ourselves are we ready? Are we ready to meet God? I heard this woman on a podcast not long ago talk about a time in her life when God meant zero to her. She said, I didn't pray, I didn't go to church. God didn't mean much to me. I never really thought about it. I'm a woman of science, a neuroscientist. One day, she was out in the waters in Hawaii surfing and having a good time and a massive wave came in and knocked everyone out of the little vessel that they were in and she was she was down under the water and she said in that moment she had a moment of clarity and she said what happened if I were to die? She said prior to this if she asked herself that question it really wouldn't matter Wouldn't matter, she said, because I didn't really care. But here she was under tons of water with minutes to spare. And she's asking herself, what would happen to me if I die? And she said, suddenly, this urge within her to say, God, have mercy on me. She said she didn't know where that came from, but she started saying it. God, have mercy on me. In the process of that horrible accident, she broke bones But she came out of it alive, and she said, I started to read the Bible. And things became clear. She confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I'm saying, let's not wait for that either. Today, if you hear God's voice, today is the day of salvation. John came preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and you know yourself. As I tell people all the time, there's a public self, there's a private self. You know your private self. You know your public self. And if God is calling you this morning to repentance, then this is the day of your salvation. This is the day to make it right with God. That's really what Advent is all about. And if I sound like a uh, raining on Christmas kind of preacher, no, that's not what I'm saying. We put up a Christmas tree. Well, my wife put up a Christmas tree. (laughs) And I gave her a thumbs up. (laughs) I'm not anti-Christmas. But what we're doing here week in and week out during Advent is not so we could take a deep breath and say, good, we made it on Christmas morning is to deepen our imagination of what it would look like as people's lives are increasingly aligned with this coming king, and others will see the salvation of God. Are there things in your life that need to change today? Would you pray with me? Merciful God, who sent your messengers and prophets to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. O God, give us grace to hear the warnings of the prophet and to forsake our sins that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprez.org. That's nationalprez.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.